G'day, fisters, and welcome to the second episode of The Fist, The Whole Fist, and Nothing But The Fist, So Help Me Pod, the official Fistball Australia podcast, or as it's known in, uh, for short, the TFTWFANBTFSHMPTOFAP. My name is Chris Super Mario Milne, and my co-host is Malcolm Mr. Fister Donnellion. Yeah, perfect. Nailed it that time, thanks. Um, yeah, pleasure to be here. Episode two, who'd have thought? Yeah. I know, we've come so far. So uh, obviously the first podcast went out two weeks ago, um, Mad Downloads. Um, I mean, that's good news, right? Yeah, I, I don't think can look at it any other way. We've um, broken the internet, which is which is good. did see we had uh, downloads in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Brazil, United States, Belgium, New Zealand. Yeah, just... Sweeping the nation. Yeah. Or, or the nation, the, the global nation, even. <laughs> the global nation. We've gone viral, for sure. No, it's great news. Uh, any, um, I guess, you know, any learning points from the first the first round? Uh, yeah, I, probably the one for me is, uh, well, um, learning that I um, say a lot of ums and ahs and um, you knows and uh, probably's when I'm sort of trying to think about what I want to say. So I'm going to try and be better at that. But no, no promises. Yeah, and you learnt to get a, a a standalone microphone as well. Yeah, I've I've gone out and splashed out the big bucks for a for a standalone microphone. So that will hopefully make your editing process a little bit easier, as it's, you don't have my iPhone headphone mic banging against my hoodie and <laughs> making scratchy noises the whole way through. Yeah. No, I think it wasn't too bad in the end. There was definitely a bit of editing. I'm sure some people, some audio files picked up on that. But, you know, it was pretty good. When we originally recorded it, it was an hour and hour and eight minutes. And we managed to get it down to 56 minutes by simply taking out ums and ahs. So that's, that's not bad. <laughs> people don't know what they missed out on. Yeah, they, um, they really missed the, the best of it. But oh well. Uh, did you get any feedback on the uh, podcast from anyone? Uh, yeah, we, we did have a bit of feedback. Um... We had uh, a nice little plug from our good friends at the IFA, Yawn and, and Chris on their oh, yes. Fistball Inside podcast. They um, gave us a nice little plug in, on episode four, I think it is, of their, of their podcast, which I think pretty much a third of the show was, was talking about us. So that was that was nice from for those guys. And uh, a few others that came in. Bianca, who was our assistant coach last year, she said she was listening in from Germany and thought it was pretty good. Uh, my partner, Jess, uh, said there's not enough true crime. Um, so that was that was helpful. Maybe yeah, we'll work on that. Yeah, we'll work on that. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I, uh, I had some I had some feedback from a few people that said it sounded like a podcast. So I feel like that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good feedback. Yeah, that's that's about it. Fist. All right, well, um, let's move on. I should point out that while we are the co-hosts on this episode, we actually have a third try co-host on this uh, on this second podcast, and it is the president of the Fistball Federation, Rolf, the Godfister, Peterson. Welcome. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Great to be here. And how are you doing this fine evening? Oh, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's a great time to be a Victorian. It's a great time to be alive. <laughs> it's, uh, um, 
Yeah, just looking forward to a chat. It's good to hear. Well, as you... Uh... <laughs> just to, to, to anyone, not just you, anyone. I'm, I'm, I'm very alone, <laughs> desperately lonely. Uh, I just want to talk to anyone. That's incredibly sad. Okay, let's um, let's move on. As you, uh, everyone who listened to the first episode knows, that we, uh, we generally start off the episode by... Uh, talking about which beer we're going to consume throughout the recording of this episode um, and open it on mic, obviously. So, uh, Rolf, as our guest, would you like to start with your beer? Sure. As a, as a first-time uh, phone-in for the podcast, I've actually pre-opened mine, so I'll just do the <laughs> noise as I open my refreshing, furfy, crisp, uh, one of the new uh, lines from the uh, from Little Creatures stable, um, <clears throat> Fistball Sponsor. And uh, it's a yeah, it's a, I'm actually really warm to these. It's a slightly lighter version of the uh, the traditional furphy, and uh, yeah, I've been uh, been helping get me through my isolation. <laughs> Tell you what, if we drop if we drop little creatures' name enough, at some point, surely they'll become a sponsor. <laughs> surely. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to be a sponsor? Of... You're working on that right now. Yeah, I'll work on it. Who wouldn't want to be a sponsor of the most downloaded? Fistball podcast in the Southern Hemisphere. Absolutely official. It's official now. I feel, like, I feel like we need. To, I feel like we need to get that in as much as possible before, like someone in Brazil or somewhere <laughs> that actually people might care about it makes a podcast, and we're no longer the number one. So we'll just um, run it for all it's worth while we can. Yep. And what have you got? Uh, I've gone for a uh, a Panhead Lube Noob IPA. So Panhead's a it's a Kiwi. Kiwi beer. Shout out to our friends across the Dutch. It's it's pretty good actually. I, I really like a lot of their products, and they've got some some pretty cool um, can artwork going on too, which is which is good. But um, it's about six point seven percent, so it's it's no mucking about. But yeah, it's a good fun. And I'll uh, sorry, I'll do the obligatory. Uh... Oh, delightful. Okay. All right, well, I'll move on to mine. Uh, I have this evening a bit fancier than last time, I guess. I've got the Dark Deeds. Uh, it's a Dark Deeds Double Lamington. It's an Imperial Brown Ale. It's actually 8.5%. It's a 440ml can. So this this recording could go downhill by the time we reach the third hour of this recording. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I'll open mine up on a, on a mic as well. Very nice. All right. So I've got, to, I've got to pour it as well. Maybe you just fill the space. I like the black lid on that can. Yeah, it's nice, right? It's quality. I should be getting flavors of coconut and raspberry in this, which I, I guess is very lemington. All right, well, I guess we should move on to the next segment here where we're actually going to ask our um, sovereign leader, uh, Rolf Godfister Peterson, a few questions. Bit of an informal interview. Um, this is a, as I say, just to cut in there, this is a, a segment uh, I'm referring to as Gabin with Godfister, which is a <laughs> name that I've sort of stolen from Reverend Timothy Lovejoy from The Simpsons. Is uh, his radio show, Gabin, Gabin About God, but uh, I thought that was appropriate. Oh, works for me, works for me. <laughs> um, well, I mean, most people listening to the podcast should obviously know who Rolf is. He's the uh, the man with um, with Rich who started Fistball in Australia um, some, what are we, uh, about eight years ago now um, and turned it into what it is now. 2012, I think we registered the, uh, the Federation. So I suppose, Rolf, start off by telling us how Fistball came to be. Tell us the story. <laughs> well, <clears throat> like every good idea, it was um, it came from the pub. So I think it was one of those sort of 
Yeah, go through those uh, phases in life, you know, like I went from being, you know, pretty young and single and free and traveling and, you know, sort of not um, not really having much responsibility and, you know, sort of like there's there's no no sense that you're going to be hemmed down and become a boring person. And I went from that that free and easy sort of fairly liberated person to the some of the drove of Peugeot in a very, very short <laughs> period of time. And... <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'm still not quite sure on how it happened. I think my partner actually had extensive training and experience in, in neuro-linguistic programming. But um, some, somehow I end up going from being someone living overseas and basically having zero responsibilities to having three children and a very, very boring, sensible job um, that I didn't really like. And uh, I think uh, lamenting these facts with uh, my good friend Rich, it was going through a somewhat similar phase in life. We uh, basically, I think it was a New Year's Eve, we decided we were going to come up with a list of things to, you know, to basically restore our independence and manhood or at least some resemblance of that. So so that was where <laughs> the idea was born, not necessarily a fistball, but for, you know, to do something, you know, greater than ourselves and to uh, restore some hope and, you know, and light at the end of a, a, a dimming tunnel. So... Yeah, so based on that uh, that initial discussion, <laughs> it's dark. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty dark, but uh, yeah. uh, so we um, so we, we we come up with some ideas, and we we looked at we looked at a few things we wanted to do. One of which was to we wanted to launch an expedition somewhere, which we're we're still hoping to do. One um, another one was to record a pop single and release it, um, which I uh, successfully did, and uh, this the single. Uh, out there circulating in Norway, but um, but uh, anyway, that's another story. But the um, do, we, do you have a copy of that, Rolf? We can play it at the end of the episode. I I, I do. It's uh, it's on CD. I don't think it even made it to MP3. <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah, and then uh, and then we wanted to represent Australia at sport. That was another idea. So and uh, yeah, and then we started looking at different sports we could find that uh, Australia didn't have a, a national team in, and we stumbled into a few false starts. Starting with uh, Jeu de Palme, which is a very original version of tennis, for which there is a amazingly an Australian Open of Jeu de Palme. So that was a, that was a fail, and then uh, because actually there is they just call it Royal Tennis in Australia, in uh, in Australia, not Jeu de Palme. And uh, Kabaddi, well, that was a pretty hopeful one. Um, there was an opening in Kabaddi only because the entire Australian national Kabaddi team had been disqualified for a drug taking. So uh, so. <laughs> It did leave an opening in Kabaddi. The fact that the actual sport is basically five men lathered in oil wearing underpants and wrestling um, <laughs> was no deterrent for us. But um, but um, but still, before we got any further with uh, with Kabaddi, we we stumbled into fistball through the World Games uh, World Games website. Yeah, couldn't find any other than a, a a MySpace reference, which clearly dates it back beyond two thousand and six or earlier. <laughs> <laughs> there was no uh, no registration or anything, any other digital presence of fistball in Australia. So uh, yeah, based on that, we uh, contacted the the IFA, and, and pretty much the rest is history. That's kind of incredible because um, I remember that when you started it up, just the lack of internet presence of fistball out there in the, on the web. Yeah, it was. I, I remember the IFA website was this incredibly dated thing where it didn't really give you any real information. There's no Facebook page. There's no Instagram. And now I compare it to now, where they're just they're completely savvy. Absolutely. Yeah. That's. And I think that's 
that's something we've definitely given to Fistball is we've really, you know, we've really helped that online presence and that online community and really, you know, sort of not necessarily dragged it, but certainly poked and prodded it into the, you know, the 21st century. Yeah. I like to think as well that we gave it a different angle as well. Obviously, there's a very serious side to Fistball, particularly the side that, you know, the, the best teams take. And then I think to bring in this humorous angle yep. as well, yep. kind of helps the sport. It gives a more real, well-rounded kind of. And, and I think that's the, the greatest thing about the fistball story is that you know, like, as, although we started as a as a bit of a joke, to be honest, like, as be truthful, like it was a you know we, you know, once we actually looked at it, we've gone, this is an awesome game. Like, this is actually a, not only a great game to play; it's a great game to watch with an awesome culture. Uh, and, and that's and that's it started as a bit of a the idea started farcically, but once we actually found fistball, the idea got us to fistball, and then when we found fistball, we fell in love with the game, and now it's all about the fistball. You know, the idea's kind of been and gone now. Like that's just the curious backstory as to why we're all here. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but now we're here for the game. So absolutely, I find as well that when I introduce. Fistball to people that have never heard of it before. I almost forget that I have to get through that obligatory 15 seconds of laughter at the name of the sport. You know, <laughs> I have to just kind of push through it because yeah. I've almost forgotten. You know, that's that's no longer a humorous yeah, yeah. side of it to me. It's for me, it's just like no, no, no. Look at this amazing sport. <laughs> forget the name. <laughs> the name is just is a pure description of what you need to use in the sport. You know, don't overthink it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and also when we think about fistball in Australia, we're not really dissimilar to how it is in Europe. So like it's a it's as it's been described to me it's it's a village sport it, that's what's one of the nice things about fistball it's played in smaller towns so you know people are more connected and you know and if you look at the three of us like we all hang out through fistball you know like but there's a connection there so you know i came up with this silly idea i happened to be you know working at that air services at the time on a course with mal and you know i, just, I remember just having this conversation just talking about this stupid idea we came up with over the christmas holidays and chatting to Mal about it, you know, like just chatting to our class in general. I didn't really know Mal. I probably hardly spoke to him before that point. But I just spoke about this stupid idea. And then because we're in a class and there was about, you know, 20 or so in the class, we had enough people around to get a fistball team together. So then we started playing fistball after after work, you know, um, as a bit of a thing to do. And then because I, I was new to Melbourne, I didn't know anyone. So I rang my cousin Jimmy, who's the only guy I knew in Melbourne who went to school with Milne and, you know, and, and all these sort of intersecting community circles kind of started overlapping. And now there's, you know, there's these, uh, you know, people I've been overseas with and travelled the world and, you know, played with on national teams and uh, and still catch up and see regularly. You know, I count as great mates that have all sort of come about from this, this pretty stupid, ridiculous <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I suppose continuing on from that, how do you feel about football right now in Australia? Just the... Yeah, positives, the concerns you might have about the sport. You know, now that we're about eight years in. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's a, it's a, like for a lot of things, it's a funny year to, to be really using as a litmus test for anything. So, be interesting to see what happens after the after the winter in Victoria. You know, particularly, but yeah, like I still think there's there's enough dedication and enough interested, committed people to to keep it going and and i've said this to mal a number of times now like I've, I've kind of had my fistball dreams fulfilled but i want my kids to have that opportunity so so that's a pretty long-term plan yeah because so, you know and most of them had kids around the same age and that's the other thing like a lot of our kids have grown up with fistball i was at the park yesterday with my boys and um 
you know, I, I took them to the park. So what do you what do you want to what do you want to do? Do you want to take the frisbee? And one of them wanted to play fistball. So <laughs> so we took the fistball down the park and I'm playing fistball with my seven year old. You know, so yeah. So it's uh, so that, so that's that is the hope for the future. I would obviously like it to be bigger and there'd be for more people out there with their kids playing fistball, but. You know, but um, there's certainly there's some ridiculous number of children, and increasingly so, Mel. <laughs> if um, <laughs> um, you know, it's almost self-sustaining. It's... I think it's one of those things too, where yeah, we probably are in a little bit of a sort of transition phase, I guess. Whereas, yeah, a lot of us guys that sort of came along and started at a, you know, probably at the end of our journeys a bit. Yeah, so there's this whole wave of kids that are coming through, and there's sort of not much in between. Like we sort of got a Find a sort of find a way to fill the gaps, and it's hard. You know, you're trying to recruit people. It's like, well, how do you recruit when you can't play at the moment? And but at the same time, it's like sort of the beauty of fistball and it being a small sport is it sort of needs to kind of grow organically to some extent. Whereas I think it's you know it's about getting families and the right sort of people involved is what makes it such a special sport. I think if it if it was to really explode all over the world really quickly you'd probably lose a lot of what's great about fistball and that it's just it's such a great that global fistball family sort of thing is is pretty special so it's a bit of an interesting one of yeah we've we've probably got a a strange period over the next you know 5 or 10 years where we're trying to find a way to to keep things going until this next real wave comes through to take over yeah i tend to agree like we I agree that it needs to be a bit of an organic growth. I think we probably just need to find ways to put some seeds out there to get that growth going. You know, I don't know how we do it, but obviously there's, you know, there's some plans that we need to make. But um, just, yeah, to fill that void before our five-year-old, four-year-old, six-year-old kids are at the age that they can play. And, you know, we've got, that's (laughs) what, 15 or so years really to fill. And I think that, you know, if we can find the right places to just get a few people yeah. playing even if they don't take it up as long as they're aware of it and they might mention it to some friends who might then mention it to some other friends and before you know it you've got some people reaching out to us saying keen to play um and then you can go from there but yeah it's definitely we've got a bit of a challenge ahead of us simply because the age group of the of all the players that started which you know at the time I'm sure we're slightly on the older age but we're still you know early 30s late 20s or whatever but now we're all in our later 30s um, and we really need to start looking to that that 20 year age gap otherwise I, I feel like we ha- we do have a risk of potentially not having teams in future international tournaments unless we're sending you know a bunch of 40 <laughs> year old guys which we don't want to be doing so we need to kind of find that that sweet spot that the late mid late 20 year old who's keen to represent Australia so obviously John you is a good example of someone who has taken that up but he's he's definitely more dedicated than your average person he likes to represent Australia in every single possible sport so if we can find more Johns out there and get them together uh, maybe that's a good starting point yeah it is it's hard because I mean he was probably a bit of an outlier and that he kind of sought us out, I guess, and found us online and was like, oh, this is a cool spot. I want to try it out. Whereas probably one of the other difficult things is me being now 35. I don't really know many people that are in their early twenties. Like it, it's people that it's hard to recruit outside your own sort of circle of, of friends or, or whatever. So yeah, like I've got a, you know, a lot of my friends now play fistball, but it's yeah. How do I, how do you actually get those younger people? And it's like, I don't know them sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It helps to have a project as well. So, because we've, you know, like with the whole international touring 
you know, sort of schedule a bit in disarray at the moment. Um, once that sort of firms up a little bit and we've got something to work towards, I think that that's what that's what generally drives us. So that's why I say it's a bit of a funny time at the moment, like just this exact time. But give it a few months, see what twenty twenty one schedule looks like, and then we'll, you know, we'll um, we'll we'll work to whatever whatever comes up next year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, at the risk of yeah, derailing it and just us talking about our general thoughts on the game, I guess we'll get, we should keep this as a, an interview of, of Rolf to some degree. Um, <laughs> so I'll move on. Like, what are your standout moments so far? What are you like? What have been your favourite moments so far in this in the first eight years of football? Oh wow, it's it's been it's pretty defining. Like I can't. It's funny. Like I can't even at work. People that don't know football, they kind of know the link, and they call me. You know the the fistmeister general, or the you know or <laughs> Sir Fistalite, or something like that, or it kind of follows you everywhere. This moniker, you know, but which is which I like. But so there's lots of little highlights. Um, in terms of like actual experience and travel highlights, um, Pakistan for me was just uh, sensational. Just the yeah, just the rawness of it all. You know, this uh, it was such a really uh, fairly nervous travel destination, and then the the Pakistanis were just fantastic. They, they really did accommodate as well, and it was just an incredibly surreal experience. You know, the, whether it be the press interviews, the armed motorcades, the um, the tuk tuk rides, the <laughs> the, um, the hospitality, the um, the opening ceremonies, and the it was just an incredibly surreal experience. Yeah, that, that's definitely my like all-time life travel experiences. Is It's right up there, I think, number one, I think. That was a great highlight. But then, yeah, but also equally, I love being in Switzerland last year where you see the other side of it, which is the packed stadiums, incredible organisation. Everything runs like a, you know, well-built watch from a small European country. So <laughs> it's... Um, you know that's that side is absolutely fantastic. Well, seeing and seeing that was the first time we'd ever really seen fistball at its heartland. You know, with the with the dedicated fans and following, and and that was and and at the, just this fantastic level of of game as well was that was absolutely you know a delight to see. So yeah, lo- lots of highlights to be honest. And and I, and I do love our little fistball community that we have here. You know, like it's it's great when the all get together, a few cans and a bit of fistball. It's it's a it's a good day out. <laughs> Still really enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky enough to be with you in Pakistan for that experience. And that was, yeah, definitely for me an absolute highlight simply because it was the perfect encapsulation of what you were trying to do in the first place, which was represent almost not as a, not necessarily as a laugh, but as, you know, a bit of a, a shortcut to Australian representation. This kind of going into this tournament, not knowing anything about what it was going to be like, because we didn't have a lot of information from them. And kind of, I still remember being at the Lahore airport, just going, is there even going to be someone here to pick us up? We didn't even know. <laughs> and then we get out there and there's like 30 cameras and like a crowd of people and you're being handed a bouquet of flowers. It's just like, what's going on? <laughs> just the, the mind warp of that entire experience. And that was like, for us, that was like, okay, so we are representing australia we have hit the pinnacle of what we were trying to achieve here. <laughs> yeah unfortunately the uh, on-field exploits weren't uh, weren't the pinnacle of our fistball prowess <laughs> still a, um, oh, still still get angry about losing to nepal to be honest but uh, anyway i mean i've watched back some of the video from some of those games and it is a poor it's a poor oh, it's <laughs> so hard to watch <laughs> I think you guys are, are still the only Australian team to tour Pakistan since 1996 or something, isn't it? I think when <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Basically, when the Australian sports 
Australian Sports Foundation banned all Australian teams going to Pakistan and that because they won't recognise us because we don't have enough members. It was like, oh, stuff is, we'll go anyway. Yeah. And I go back in a heartbeat, to be honest, if there was another opportunity, I'd absolutely love to. Although we still need to, yeah, need to put the pressure on the Indians. I think we'd love to love to go there. I think that's the next uh, Asian Championships, Asia Pacifics. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's what we'll, what we'll talk about. Oh, wait, no. Before we get into that, we have to... <laughs> We do have a few. Li- we have a few listener questions. Uh, they're very serious, oh, as okay. you can imagine. Um, <laughs> so we've got one here from uh, a Rod Matthews. I believe he has actually captained Australia uh, in fistball, but he's uh, he's asking a very genuine question. He's saying, "Hi, Rolf, uh, long-time listener, first-time commenter. Just wondering, how do you tell your kids apart? They all look very similar. Not sure if they're triplets, twins, or just singles. Thanks." <laughs> Uh, thanks, Rod. Great question. Uh, yeah, I do have uh, the, yeah back to the earlier origin story. How I went from being single and free and easy to then driving a very sensible Peugeot family wagon. <laughs> Three very similar looking children within a year, <laughs> which is can only, which a time frame that can only be described as suspicious. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, the boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do have identical twin boys, and they're 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 very much at the identical end of the identical spectrum, and and um, to the point where I once spent uh, eight hours on a plane with one and realised that when I got to the other end, I had the wrong child, <laughs> and and. Um, <clears throat> And and I still think their passport photos are incorrect. <laughs> so I've got the when I filled out their passport applications, I put the wrong photo in with the oh, wrong dear. child. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so the answer is you 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 don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I get it wrong all the time, and you know, but it doesn't really matter. Like, really, it doesn't matter. Like, is it which which one is annoying me at this point? <laughs> you know, what are they doing? What do I have to throw at them to make it stop? I think. Um... I think the best one I've heard with that was um, uh, Bianca, who was yeah, I mentioned before our assistant coach in uh, in Switzerland, but also was also your au pair for for six months or so. She used to tell them apart by their uh, forehead width. She, <laughs> one of them apparently has a slightly wider forehead, and she used to just kind of put her thumb and pinky finger on their foreheads and be like, "Oh yeah, that one's Sven." <laughs> Let's move on to the second question, Rolf. Uh, this is from someone you may know, a uh, uh, Richard Williams. I could be anyone. He says hello. <laughs> <laughs> he says hello, Rolf Peterson. Uh, Long time Under Armour, first time Fistner. Can you please confirm rumours that the Dust Fist logo explains the connection between 5G masks, Buckfist, and the Illuminati? Um, yes. I should remind you, these are very serious questions. Oh, you didn't have to. Um, you didn't have to say the name of the of the listener to actually for me to work out who asked that question. <laughs> it's a classic Richard question. But Richard did actually indeed design the um, the Dust Fist logo, which uh, which is I still absolutely love, and it's the probably the only uh, sports team jersey uh, in the world to feature a snowmobile. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, <laughs> um, only Richard could come up with that, but it's basically, if I can orally describe it, it's a a fist holding an axe uh, with a bottle of Buckfast um, and a snowmobile, which tells the story of how fists are like axe powered by Buckfast, a 10th century English spiced port, 
and then ploughing through all weather like a snowmobile might. <laughs> so, so our badge tells the story of our team. This is the seventh year that Dust Fist has been in, in, in incorporation, and that's the first time I've heard that story. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty deep. It goes, there's lots of layers. Lots of layers. Um, but yeah, Richard just... He invented it, and uh, then I drew it up, and uh, yeah, it's uh, and proudly worn on the shirts of the least successful fistball team in <laughs> Australian history. Are we? Um, are we any chance of seeing Richard back on the fistball field at some point? Yeah, I certainly hope so. Well, um, he's uh, back in Melbourne now, so yeah, we'll uh, he'll be a regular cameo appearances. He's like, he works in the often busy in the summers flying, so. Uh, so the new season changes have sort of is a bit of a victim of that last year. Mm. I do miss his classic underarm <laughs> serves. The, uh, the the greatest Welsh fist bowler in history. So uh, it's a, some claim to fame. Fist. Ball. So I guess the next question is: uh, Are we going to do what's on the calendar? Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought I'd just talk about where things are at, what's what's going on. I guess Rob sort of briefly touched on the Asian Championships before, but I guess the where we're looking with that is supposed to be in 12 months' time, roughly, and COVID situation in India is not great at the moment, so it was you know, flagged to be in India this time next year, but just a bit of a wait and see there, I guess. Yeah, it seems unlikely though, doesn't it? So it was meant to be at this time next year, was it? Uh, I think we sort of flagged September, October, I think that was the time that they'd sort of said was probably going to be the best time to go. Yeah, just, I don't know, it just seems unlikely that our, that we'll be, the government's going to even let us, letting us travel to India in 12 months' time. But I guess we'll, we'll wait and see what happens with um, vaccines and, and that sort of stuff. But I think we did float the idea with um, Blaze in New Zealand of hopefully there might be a worst case scenario, if there's a travel bubble or something that, that opens up between Australia and New Zealand. We might be able to get over there for a tournament and play some fistball in the not too distant future but yeah it's all just a bit of a waiting game at the moment although we don't want to have a ttfc just yet um because we still hold the trophy and we can't actually lose it until we have another ttfc <laughs> so still reigning champs of the trans tasman fistball championship it's ours until you make us compete for it <laughs> we very sensibly never put an expiration date on that and so um Pav- the pavlova plate is ours and they're not allowed to come here and take it back from us at the moment so that's it's worked out quite well and you were saying the World Games are going to be delayed, aren't they? They're at 2022 now. Yeah, they got pushed back uh, because the Olympics got pushed back, essentially. So, yeah, the, the Olympics are supposed to be, well, happening right now, I think, or maybe would have just been finished. Just but finished, yeah. Because they got pushed yeah. back to 2021, which actually meant that the dates were would have been overlapping with the World Games in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, I believe. And so um, so they got pushed back by another another 12 months to 2022. But again, that might not be the worst thing, to be honest, because again, it's just hard to see how that would all, how it's all going to be sort of fitting together in 12 months. So maybe the extra year for the World Games might be a, might be a blessing in disguise, but it's um, yeah, it's disappointing. I was, I was actually re- sort of really hoping to get over there for the World Games um, next year. So put those plans on hold for 12 months and hopefully try again in 2022. Mm. I tell you what, if anyone from the uh, South Australian government, particularly in the sports part of the South Australian government, is listening, I'm sure they are. 
why hasn't Adelaide hosted a World Games yet? It is the prime place to have a World Games. That's sort of not a major city, slightly below, with a lot of open space and a lot of little stadiums. It would be perfect. Plus, Australia would qualify, I would hope, <laughs> for the World Games. So, Adelaide, get to it. Host the World Games. It would be perfect. I, I can see the opening ceremony in Rundle Mall in my head right now, and it's glorious. <laughs> <laughs> Surely the the fistball part of it has to be played in Harndorf, wouldn't it? Like, oh, you'd hope so. You've got to you've got to take fistball to Harndorf at, at some point. It just just has to happen. Honestly, like the parklands, the parklands around the city are built for these kind of smaller sports competitions. You know, because we've never had a World Games in Australia, and as far as I know, I don't even know if it's been considered. But it just seems like it'd be perfect. Anyway, sorry, I got all sort of semi serious there. <laughs> Anything else on the news front? I, I mean, I know that the German and Austrian leagues are a couple of weeks in, but I don't think there's anything there that's... Yeah, I've, I've sort of almost stopped looking at the Instagram posts and stuff. It's, it's almost just depressing watching them all playing when we're stuck in, in quarantine and, and lockdowns and they're enjoying their, their summertime and then they'll post about the games and they're off at some pristine lake swimming after the game. And it's just like, yeah, okay, skip, <laughs> skip, skip, skip. Mm. We need to bring Bryce on and uh, ask him what his plans are for the, for the VFL going forward because... Obviously, not only have has the upcoming season been pushed, which I think was probably going to start around about now, the Kremlin's Kronsteiner Medal Night, obviously, which is was going to be for two seasons worth um, of medals, plus maybe two years worth, may, oh no, one year of, of national team medals as well, which um, it just keeps getting pushed. So we need to, we need to you know give these um, awards to these people. So it's pretty frustrating situation to be in yeah that, that we we missed that one by, by about a week i think like it was it was scheduled to be the night after our our last games and we played our last regular season game and then we we're going to play i think two weeks later we we're going to play our our world tour event and the the clemens medal was going to be was going to be that night and yeah we we missed out on that by like a week we got locked down so it, it got canned but mm. at least we managed to finish the last round of the the regular season in just before we all got shut down but yep. yeah no luck with the with the medals mm. Fist. Boy. all right well unless you've got anything else we'll move on to the the big match review yeah well we were talking world games so it's a a smooth segue into our, um, our our match of choice, which was the the final of the 2017 World Games from yeah three years ago between Germany and Switzerland, which we did post the link up on the the, the FIFA Facebook page the other day. So if any hopefully uh, if anyone's interested uh, has had a chance to to have a look at that game over the last few days. Not one to tackle on a school night, probably. It's a it's it's, it's pretty up there. I think it's comes in just just under two hours or a seven set epic still not i think quite as long as uh our match against uh new zealand at the the apfc and might only be slightly longer by a few minutes than our five set match <laughs> against belgium. belgium at the world champs <laughs> so um we're probably leading the world in uh, average time per point aren't we yeah yeah it's the, the the lack of anyone good enough to hit winners is telling in some of those rallies Particularly as the longer the rally goes, the the more nervous you get that you don't want to lose that rally, and so they more just get the, shots, the attacking yeah. shots just get more conservative <laughs> and more conservative, and and then they just go on and on. My only concern about 
us reviewing this match at this point is that I feel like we may even be reviewing too many incredible games too early on. We're setting such an incredibly high standard. I mean, honestly, this <laughs> game is probably one of the best matches I've ever seen of fistball. Two powerhouses in tough conditions. I was saying to Rolf earlier, it's a masterclass of defense and like desperation in tough conditions. Like the amount of times that they had to react suddenly to a ball not bouncing the way it should be because it's muddy and it's slippery and everyone's buggered already you know it's just it's incredible to watch I wrote down I wrote down all the players and I just started you know putting ticks against them you know for, for quality shots and effort and when I got to the end of it I pretty much ticked everyone so, so there's there's not really it's a very hard game to pick standout players because yeah. everyone threw their A game in it. There's such desperation in the defense is spectacular in this game. It's yeah, it's a it's a great game to watch. Mal and I talked earlier in the week about this and we basically confirmed that because I decided to do it the way that he did it last time, which was to do a 3-2-1 by set. And after the second set was complete, both of us had six completely different uh, vote getters over two sets. You know, like when we compare it to the game that we did, uh, well, last episode, the um, Brazil versus Austria, and there was two real clear standouts and two main attackers that were just on fire. This was just team effort personified this was just everyone chipping in and the amount of times i thought that i had my three votes locked in and then just one defender would have like three or four incredible saves in a row i'm like well now i've got to consider them you know um and in the end i ended up doing three two one and then i by set and then added it all up and then at the end i overruled my (laughs) my summation of numbers (laughs) because i didn't feel it was indicative i did this i did the same thing my uh yeah i've i've canned my own system as well because i just i just didn't feel like i didn't get the guy i wanted through my (laughs) system so i went back and this was like no i'm just and let's be honest if you're a swiss fistball supporter it is a heartbreaking game to watch this was a game where patrick thomas had injured his shoulder early on in the tournament with a after a collision with um with steve uh what's his last name yeah and so he was out of the game so the swiss really saw this as an opportunity to really push the germans and maybe win that world games championship and they were just they got out to an early lead and it really looked like they were i mean no single set was easy but it looked like they were going to take it and to have a 3-1 lead in sets just one more set to win the whole thing and then to lose three sets in a row i mean that you could you could see the heartbreak in their faces yeah that's so close but yet so far sort of sort of thing is is tough and i i haven't seen the game but i'm pretty sure there was the final of the euros from maybe a year or so earlier that a similar story it was switzerland germany in the final and i think switzerland was up three nil maybe and then they had like a rain delay a big storm blew through and then yeah they were off for half an hour 45 minutes and they came back on and germany won four sets yeah rolled over the top and the uh, the long suffering Swiss fistball fans, yeah, that that would have been a, a hard one take. I remember watching it live, and I think we're, you were watching it as well, Millie. And we were we were texting each other while this game was on. It was it was unbelievable, and there's sort of not really commentary on it. You can hear um our boy Alwyn sort of commenting after points. But I I didn't realize it was a best of seven sets. I thought it was best of five. And when uh, Switzerland won that fourth set to go up three one, I was like I was so psyched. I was punching the air, and then I'm like, wait, why are they going? Why are they still out there? Why why are they so subdued they should be excited <laughs> and then i was like oh no there's got to win another set and as soon as germany won the fifth set i just thought ah oh, this it's gonna happen again they're gonna yeah it was it was pretty heartbreaking and it's it's sort of weird like not that i've massively like anti-german in fistball or anything but it's just 
pretty much when we started in 2013 was just after kind of Germany had retaken the, the throne of the top team and we haven't really experienced anyone else winning anything. So this was for us, that was the first chance. We're like, oh, here we go. Someone, someone else is going to win. And then, no. Nah. No, <laughs> it should probably set this set the scene as well. I mean, I could be wrong. I think they're playing on one court the entire tournament, and it had rained a lot. I think they had at least one day where it was completely rained out, like a hurricane type situation, and the court itself was just just holding together by threads. By that final, it was muddy. It was like there was huge patches where the main people stood, where the ball you never knew what it was going to do once it hit it. Sometimes it would bounce. Sometimes there was a few shots that you would have seen in the game where the setter's ready to set it and it, it bounced maybe three centimeters <laughs> you can just see the defeat in his face as he collapsed to the ground like oh come on it was and as a result of that as a result of those conditions obviously you know there's a real weakness at the front there if if someone does a drop shot it's almost a guaranteed point so that i as a, as a setter, I felt so sorry for the setters. They basically had the W formation, right? And they were the setters were incredibly close to the front, and they were just copying it from these attackers at full pace and having to return the ball every time because they just could not risk a drop shot. It was incredible effort by the setters. Some, it was almost it was almost Australian fistball at some points, you know. It's, you know, like, you know like. yeah, definitely comparable. <laughs> No, just in terms of uh, the field conditions and the, you know, like it's what we're used to playing in and sort of unpredictable bounce. And, and there was a lot of just lobs over the net just to keep it going, you know, because of the, a lot less set play attacking shots and a lot of big rallies. Yeah, there was, there was one point fairly early on in the first set where the defensive shot was sort of a, a bit of a desperation shot down the back and then the ball was set from the back of the of the court. It was a really high set. Like the ball actually went out of camera up the top of the screen and then it landed four or five metres from the net and it still didn't bounce high enough from to make an attacking shot out there. Like you said to underarm, you thought, well, if that's not going to bounce high enough, like it just meant that basically indirect setting was out for basically the whole game. Like, unless you were out, could get close enough and do some good direct setting, you were just, it was a bailout shot. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty interesting. I think um that was uh in Poland, wasn't it? That was um, rock law, I think in, in Poland, which was, Sort of the the beginnings of uh, of Polish fistball because as the host nation they were sort of entitled to to enter a team so yeah that's how I mean, the the Polish guys got got started a few years ago and shout out to uh, well I, I I'm smart enough to not try and pronounce a Polish surname on the radio <laughs> no, but to uh, but to Big Robert and the other guys in Poland uh, shout out there to those guys but um, yeah no it was it was a hell of a game. Yeah, I, f- I forgot my customary apology at the start of the podcast for all our mispronunciations, but <laughs> I think um, before we get to our votes, I think there's one that we have to quickly discuss. Uh, which shot was better? Relly's shot over the net or Nick Trinomai's shot into the front corner? Both of them were posted by the IFA as kind of like viral videos, which got quite a few posts, but which shot to you is better? Are you talking the um, Rebsiman, yeah, the, number, were, the yes. number five? He does that little flick over the... Yeah. That's that's out of control. That is just humans don't bend like that. No. I, I'd be in I'd be in IC, I'd be in ICU if I did that. <laughs> the beautiful thing is the IFA, uh, as a result of the World Games, I guess having a bit more money for their um, their live broadcast, they're able to have that super slow mo camera on the net. 
to capture yeah. him getting onto that. And it's it's like he's defying gravity. Like both of them, to be honest. <laughs> Nick, the same thing. Yep. You know, he kind of gets in, but yeah, he doesn't yep. just get a fist to it. He manages to smack it into the corner. And just watching them, like, navigate the net with their body, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's more like a pole vaulter than yeah. a fist baller at that Absolutely. point. Absolutely. <laughs> there was a great one the other couple of days, Melanie, when we were texting, you, you mentioned how... Um, for some reason, like fistball through history has been sort of part of gymnastic clubs. And we were like, I don't understand the connection between fistball and gymnastics. Why is that finished? And then you watch that point. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's the gymnastics club. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> so is, is there anyone willing to uh, vote on which shot's better for, as far as they're concerned? Oh, I'll go for Ule, but not with any great confidence. They were, they were both pretty amazing. Yeah. But yeah, Nick, when he came onto the ground, it just had immediate impact as well. And I think shots like that just lifted the German team. Absolutely. The main, which is so. I think probably for the for the outcome, Nick's probably would get the vote. But in terms of just the physicality of it, I'd go Ureli's. with the Swiss. Yeah. I think I'm the same. Like just really, I'm probably saying his name wrong every time, but he just gets a knuckle onto it. And just be able to get his heart. And he's not a massive guy. Like, I think he's, I don't know how tall he is, but he's not a giant, right? And to be able to jump that high, get a knuckle onto it, and then bring his entire body back over without touching it is a phenomenal effort. All right, well, I guess we'll start with our votes. Who wants to go first? Guess, guess goes first, Ralph. You, okay. You yeah, um, like I said, I, I've changed. I, I didn't really, wasn't so methodical as marking every set. I just sort of had a list of the players and I just... You know, ticked them up when I sort of was impressed and I end up with just a page of ticks and <laughs> so probably starting at the for the for my one vote I've got uh, Lasser the uh, the, the Swiss the Swiss attacker the other Swiss attacker although he, he had a blinder later in the game he really picked up his game later on um, so they seemed to he seemed to be a bit more dominant in the, la- in the later sets a couple of faults in the last set but he but then he really picked his Picked it back up again and then came back with some big winners. So I think I thought him for really sticking with it to the end. He deserved a vote. Um, you can. We'll just do one at a time, Rob. <laughs> yep, yep, I won't sure. make you do all your votes. Uh, no, it's it. I'll go. I mean, I'll go next. Um, funnily enough, I did have Lucas Lasser in there, but I actually changed him out. I think you're right. He was like at times really dominant, particularly in those later sets. But oh, he made a few errors, and it just—it. I, I mean, I don't want to be harsh on him because he was—he was obviously very tired, and there was a lot of pressure on him. But he yeah. did make a few crucial errors, um, a few serving faults, um, which were super important in the concept of the game. And so I actually gave my third vote to uh, Ueli uh, Rebsamen. Oh, I'm so sorry, mate. I can't <laughs> say your name. Ueli Rebsamen. <laughs> But he was early on. This is this was a game of two halves as far as I'm yeah. concerned. My votes in the first three sets are completely different to my votes in the final four sets. Um, but Ureli was uh, was like really good early on. He was super intimidating and he was kind of getting it done um, early on and really kind of pumping up the team. And so he kind of, he took my one vote. Plus I was just blown away by that shot he did. I think it kind of clouded my uh, vision somewhat. But um, yeah, I mean, I had him in votes in, in set two and set four and set five. So he was, you know, reasonably spaced out um, throughout my, my voting. So I thought he was worthy of one vote. Mel? Yeah, 
this was probably the one that, yeah, I guess it was controversial for me is where he actually got the most votes for me <laughs> in my 3 2 one system, but I relegated him to the one. <laughs> sort of, sort of the same thing. I, it was all a, also uh, Ule Rebsman, uh was, was my one vote, but he was so good in certain patches, but then there was other bits where I just didn't notice him so much. So I sort of had him in. Early, the first couple of sets, he did some really great things. The fourth set, he was great. And I think that might have been the, the fifth set. But yeah, I guess... Because essentially the last set, he just, it was sort of, the last two sets, right? so when the game was really there and they needed to, to sort of win, he just didn't really pop up at all much. And so I sort of couldn't really justify having him as being my best player of the game when he sort of wasn't really part of the, the last couple of sets. But he certainly was a big part of putting Switzerland in a position where they were up up three sets to one. But uh, yeah, so I, I gave uh, Ule my one. But yeah, there, and again, there were so many other guys like, Probably could have thrown a blanket over another four or five names that was they were really good as well, but yeah, it's a it's a tough caper this this vote vote business. You know you can't can't give it can't give them to everyone, and uh, no one's paid me enough to, yet to um to to win my vote. So <laughs> do you want to move straight on to your second vote after that? Sure. So this was uh, an interesting one. Is that when I watched when I sort of remembered this game before watching it again, I kind of had thought this guy was going to be clearly number one. I just remembered him being absolutely epic. And then when I watched the watched the game through four sets, I didn't have him having a single vote. He, and it wasn't it wasn't that he was it wasn't that he wasn't that wasn't great, but it, there was just other guys that were better than I remember them being. And uh, Lucas Schubert did some amazing things that I'd sort of forgotten how good he was in the game. And Nick Trinomar was in it. But the last four sets, when when Germany came back, also the last three sets when Germany came back, Steve Schmutzler was epic. He was his serving was was immense and and even like the the last set where it was the last set was just a shootout pretty much between Steve Schmutzler and Lucas Lasser like it was just ace after ace after ace and like every time sort of Switzerland would get their nose in front Lucas Lasser would hit this amazing shot Steve Schmutzler would come right back and and cream were a winner at the other at the other end and then when it got down to like nine all Steve Schmutzler also like Lucas attacked him a couple of times and he hit the defensive shots that put them in the rally and then sort of finished them off. And I was like, you know, I, I, I he was, yeah, he, he was so big for him at the end. I, I've given him my two. Yeah. I actually, as a result of my movement of uh, my, my manipulation of my own votes, I actually had um, Fabian Sagstetter as my two votes. He was, um, when he was a defender, when he was playing, when Tim Albright was playing as the setter, he was an incredible defender. Just some of the saves that he had to keep the ball in play, were, particularly in these conditions, were just incredible. And then when he moved into the setter position and he's taking some of those hits from, from Lucas and Ueli, like straight at his body and he was just keeping it in play um, and keeping it in a good position. He was just so, he was just so reliable, I think. Um, he could have very easily taken the three votes for me, but I gave him two. And to be honest, it was a toss-up between him and um, Tim Albright as far Albrick, sorry, Tim Albrick, as far as who would get votes in this game because Tim was incredible as well, particularly early on. Some of the the work he was doing to keep the play going, um, but in the end, I couldn't have three German players in a game where. It was seven sets and the Swiss almost won it. So I had, you know, obviously I had Aureli in there for three, but Fabian I thought was incredible. And I think they're one of the setters across the both teams really needed some kind of um, recognition for sure. Rolf? Cool. Yeah, my number two. Yeah, again, the, the Swiss setter, Kohler. 
the number nine. Uh, there's, oh, there's two Colas. There's but the the number nine in the setting position. Mario and Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he had a blinder. I thought he was just everywhere. But I think I mainly gave him his for being a, a team man. He was. You just see him. He was absolutely everywhere. Took some cracking direct serves as well uh, in really tough conditions, and it was a, not a setter's game yeah. with the. The field as it was, but yeah, he got he got my two votes. I just yeah, just seemed to have a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of gene up the boys, and just seemingly everywhere as well. So, but it's really hard to pick a number two. He's a bit of an unheralded um, yep. champ champion, Mario. He just kind of seems to go a little bit under the radar, but he's yep. he's always there, being super reliable. He seemed to play every set. I don't know if he had a break, but um, so roll straight into my three then. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I picked the guy with the toughest job in German fistball, and that is um, the job of not being Patrick Thomas. Uh, <laughs> that's um, Steve Schutzler. Yeah, he had a, he had an absolute blinder, I thought. He was just, you know, like, I mean, that's some big physical and metaphorical shoes to fill. Uh, when you, seriously, they're big shoes. Patrick, he's a big <laughs> bloke, you know, like he goes scuba diving in his shoes. But, uh, he's, but uh, yeah, Schutzler, he, he just... He rose, and as you said, it was a tar- it was a game of two halves, and and he had an absolute blinder in those last those last few sets. He was my my number one pick for the game, especially since he was the one that uh, was involved in the uh, the injury of Patrick Thomas. He kind of had to. <laughs> That's right. Was, I'm not going to say it was his fault, obviously, but he was involved in the situation, so he really needed to to take that mantle. And I'd, I'd also put a special mention for Nick Trinamire as well, because he he came on in that second set, and he he really um really g'd up the German squad on that when he walked on the field. So, um, but then he he didn't get a huge amount of game time. I think he when he was on, he was excellent. Nick was fantastic, but yeah, Steve Schutzer really carried him home though. I'm pretty sure it's a this is a it's a terrible uh, Google Translate, but I just typed um brick shit house into Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> came up with Ziegel Scheiser House. Is, um, so I'm pretty sure that's not what it translates to. It's just the epitome of Steve Schwartzler. He's just built. He's solid. He's powerful. And yeah, like some in that seventh set where you just you expect you know these guys have been out there for two hours it's wet it's it's a slog and he just had so much power still from you know and he's not really like a running jump server and he's like pretty much a standing two-step start and he's just he had so much power and it's like yeah he's he's, um, he's, he's impressive yeah yeah i mean I'll, i mean i'll move on to my my three points because it is is steve schmutzler as well he um it's amazing right he didn't have any votes for me uh up until the fifth set he I thought early on he looked low on confidence. He looked he had a few a few little errors, a few little mistakes he made. You know, there was a shot where he kind of could have hit it but he let it go and it hit the net. And you could it looked like he was down on confidence and then I don't know what what happened, but set five onwards I he pretty much had maximum votes uh, from me for the next three sets because he was just unstoppable with his serves and his attacking shots as well, but even just more so his serves. He's in that last set, he just took over. He was a machine and you can see it on the video, like on the live stream, just like, well, my chest was, chest was puffed out. You know, he was just like, no one's, nobody's stopping me right now. He was like a... I don't know. It was very impressive. He just kind of knew whatever he did. He kind of had their measure, and he was phenomenal. I'm not sure about the dodgy tape on the fingers. You know, that just seems a little sus. But you know, <laughs> but you know, Sand, sandpaper. Yeah, a little bit of sandpaper. <laughs> seems to very conveniently cut himself cutting chopping the onions the night before every game. Like, oh no, I've, uh, cut my fingers again. But for sure, he was um, he was incredible, and in the end, he he took my votes. I mean, I. 
I had had I also considered like not necessarily for three but for other votes honorable mentions I also had Lucas Schubert um, in there and Tim Albrecht I, I had Mario as well and and Malik Mueller he had an incredible second set and um, I think I I mean almost, yeah the Swiss defender is excellent yeah I mean like almost everyone on the two um, the two teams got a vote from me at some point it was just that much of an even game but yeah I mean Mal who was your three votes then uh, yeah same sort of thing here like. I- Pretty much of the 10 sort of guys that spent most of the time out on the field, I think nearly every one of them probably popped up at some point. And again, he's probably wasn't the most, you know, doesn't, didn't stand out so much because, yeah, he's like, wasn't not the hitting the, the winning shots or whatever. But found, sort of found with the attackers, they, they sort of floated in and out. Like there was times when Steve Schwitzler was great. There was times when Lucas Schubert was great. There was times when Uli was great. There was times when, when Lucas was great. But the one name that just kept popping up for me through like almost every set was Tim Albrecht from Germany. And I feel like that attacker, uh, sorry, that setter position was, as you mentioned earlier, was so difficult. So they were basically playing as coming, like standing in that bog pit five metres across the net. So they were having to take those those direct shots and yeah and then and even sort of when he moved back into defense in that third or fourth set when uh, Sagstetter came up to the net uh, came into the setter he was still playing great in defense and I thought well in a game where for your attackers to be good they need basically great direct sets to do anything it's like well the guy who's who's giving the majority of those sets and taking those shots I, I thought yeah through the whole game was so consistently good and the only real knock I could sort of think to give him for the game was when those ridiculous balls where he was in position and then the ball bounced like five centimeters off the ground and you could see him he was still so frustrated but you're like well he's done everything right he's in the perfect position and he just gets a a dud bounce like well if that's the biggest knock i can give on a guy is that the court was terrible yeah so I, i i thought tim was he was epic he was great well i guess when you add that all up i guess steve probably gets the most votes but i have no idea who was second because that was a pretty pretty uh good mix of uh, names thrown out there yeah i was, uh, it, was, it was such a just such an, a team performance from both sides like everyone everyone got in there and, and did their bit it's a great game to watch Any, anyone you know when you have that you know that fistball conversation with people you know there's vast majority of people go oh right and then they laugh about the name and they move on but when people dig a little bit deeper and they're actually interested this is this is the game i I flick to them to watch. You go watch this. This is what fistball is all about. You can see the athleticism, the the competition, the passion. It's 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 got everything in this game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely that game, or maybe Australia versus South Africa from the 2015 <laughs> World Championships. They're definitely the two games. <laughs> if you want well, to get people on board, you know, for the skill and athleticism, and we'll save that one to next week's <laughs> podcast, shall we? <laughs> oh, jeez. Do we do we have to give votes? Can we just like say no votes were given <laughs> to, to protect the innocent? Uh, but you know, it was a game and it happened. I did want to talk about a couple of interesting points throughout the game, just very quickly. One that stood out for me was the the one point switchover of the entire team when the game started. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I wrote that down too. I want to ask you: Do you think it was a how much of it? Do you think was a mental? play and how much do you think it, it was a to get everyone a go in the final like as a team thing yeah i was the same i was sort of watching it and i was thinking like geez i'm surprised that that's the the five they've gone with the start you know like there's a couple of pretty big names up there and then yeah they play the one point and they just sub the whole five out so yeah, i think it was probably more maybe a little bit of a confusion let's you know, maybe we can see if we can pinch a point here while they're the opposition's a bit confused but i think mostly it's a yeah let's make sure everyone gets a, gets at least to put their their name on on the on the sheet for being on the field but 
It didn't work. They lost the point. So <laughs> they did lose the point, but they didn't. Yeah, they didn't really change their. I think maybe Nic- Nicholas Fair may have played. Fair may have played at some point, but otherwise their defense didn't change for the entire game. So it was. It did seem a little bit like getting everyone a chance to, you know, get a cap so to speak for the game. But um, at the same time, I also wouldn't be surprised if they thought, well, the Germans see this this five, let's plan for it, and then whew, it's completely changed. <laughs> yeah, the one guy um, that was out there, they probably used quite a bit, it was the, probably the main subs that, that Switzerland did was was sort of the three main attackers as rotating through. And um, is there, I, I just, I've, I've actually just written, written his name down as Brad Pitt most of the time in, in my review. <laughs> but is there a better looking fistball than uh, Raphael Schlattinger? I think his surname is like he's uh, yeah uh, he's um, he's a bit of a man bit of a man model that one. <laughs> I think he knows it though. Yeah. Another interesting point for me was when I mean you know this is classic fistball right? This seventh set scores tied ten all, and there is a controversial umpiring call. On the attempt to hit the ball over the net by by Malik Mueller, I think. Do you remember that one where he tried to get a finger onto it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the sixth set, I think it was. Ten all on the sixth. Oh, was that the sixth yeah. set? Okay. Yeah. Oh, on the replay, I would say it was inconclusive. Do you think he touched it? Well, yeah. I, to be honest, I'm actually not sure what he got called for. I thought when I watched the referee, he pointed to his shirt as if he that the referee had paid that he'd touched the net. Right. Like with his shirt. Because yeah, like watching the replay, he definitely didn't hit the net. It was yeah, I guess it was. Um, it, it was hard to tell whether or not he hit whether he hit the ball or not, or whether his fingers were curled into a into a proper fist. But that was the thing I found a bit interesting. Was yeah, I, was, I wasn't sure from the umpires gesturing what what the actual penalty was was awarded for. Yeah, I figured. I mean, I figured it's because he didn't touch the ball. But um, when you look at the replay, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. But you're right. He didn't touch the ball. He didn't touch the net at all with his body for sure. That was a guarantee. And then I think, uh, and I think that made it ten eleven. Mm-hmm. And then I think Lucas Lasser hit the net on the on the next serve, and that was you know, that's sets sets over. So yeah, absolutely, that was big. I did think it was funny as well. They didn't bring um, Uli back on for the final set as well. Like I think just mm. Lasser just seemed a bit tired as well. I thought he did. Um, whether he was injured or, but he just yeah, they, he just didn't seem to get a lot of contact in that last set. It's actually interesting. I was looking at, you know, last week when we talked, sorry, when last episode when we talked about Brazil and um, Austria, we were talking about how they've got the young the young guns coming through, a bit of an exciting future for both teams. But when you look at these German and Swiss teams, I did a very quick calculation just on, you know, ignoring the World Games team, because obviously that was three years ago, but the World Champs team from last year, if... I mean, some of these guys have already retired, but if all of these players were to go around again in four years' time in... Um, sorry, where's the next World Champs? Mannheim. Mannheim. In 2023, um, of this German team, there would be one player that is under 30, uh, Jonas Schwot- Schwotter. And then in the Swiss team, you've got three players that would be under 30. In Jan Meyer, who I know stepped it up at the World Champs, Malik Müller, and Kenneth Schoch, I'm terrible with these names. <laughs> but yeah, basically three players should be under 30. So both of these teams are in a very interesting position where they need to really start blooding some new players. And I don't think either team really did that at the World Champs. So I'm wondering what their plan is going forward. And I think that that for me was probably like the biggest pull out of that, that game was Switzerland's 3-1 three, three up, no Patrick Thomas. 
if you're not going to beat Germany now, yeah. when will you? And they didn't. And it's like you've that. This was the this was the shot, and they missed it. And it's like you've missed your, your one go at it. Yeah. Start going. Start again next time. You know. Good luck in ten years when you got a new team in because you're not you're not going to get another shot at it like this. And yeah, uh, and that was probably I think why they were probably all so shattered at the end because it's like I think they knew that this was this was their 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 best shot at it, and they just couldn't get it done. Yeah. Absolutely. From the guys at the World Champs, Mario has retired, Lucas Lasser has retired, and then from the Germans, Edith Fernando has retired, Lucas Schubert's retired, Steve Schmutzler's retired. Yep. So Patrick Thomas will be 31 at the next one. Nick Trinemeyer will be 34 if he goes around again. Um, everyone else will be in the early 30s. Um, Fabian Stagstetter will be 33. So they're kind of... It'd be interesting to see who's coming through. They'll probably... I mean, the Germans are pretty good at this, at blooding new players i think but the swiss my completely uneducated concern about it is that they're like i was saying last episode is that their under 21 team and their under 18 team haven't been blowing the competition out of the water they've been coming fourth generally in those international competitions behind brazil austria and germany so it's they need to find a few players that can really kind of step up i think out of the youth and i don't know who that is at this stage interesting times because yeah again that the same that yeah the swiss team i think there's a, a fair few guys there that are that are on the older side so could be a, a bit of a new dawn um, what else? I did just have a, a couple of other couple of other tidbits. That there's a, a Roger Willen sighting in the crowd early. I don't know if you if you spotted him there, but <laughs> not, uh, we need to try and mention mention our patron Saint Roger in every show. And as soon as I saw him in the crowd, I was like, oh, make sure I mention that. Rogers. A few, as well as a few of our other um, a few of our other friends that uh, that sort of tend to follow our, our stuff. Um, Anna Wolfhart and Enos Moringa I saw in the crowd. Gianna Hexel and uh, the great Ernesto Donalek who was uh, was there. So there was, there was a few other a few other faces I saw in the crowd. But um, all people I'm sure are listening uh, to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the, other, the only other thing I had was just like it's probably a horrible thing to say, but how good is fistball when Patrick Thomas isn't playing and just ruining it for everyone <laughs> by being so damn good? Like you take him out and it's. It's just that it levels the playing field so much, and then of course, yeah, you get those you get those boggy fields where it makes attacking and stuff a little bit harder as well. Was 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 interesting, but like you feel like on those fields, Patrick Thomas, no one would have been able to to defend his shots. He would have just dominated so much. Whereas taking <laughs> yeah. as as great as yes, all those other attackers we mentioned, Schmutzler, Lesser, and were they're not unstoppable like he is to so the same extent that, you know, the defenders could really show It's up. the variation too. Yeah. This, like Patrick Thomas's drop serves his most powerful serve, you know, and I can, that would have just unplayable. But they didn't really pull out too many drops. He tried one at once. I think um, Schutzer tried a, a drop and he uh, put it straight into the yes. net. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but there was a very, very under, very, it wasn't much use to the drop serve. No, but they were, they were all over it. Been, well, I guess with those guys standing up, yeah. I know that there was. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure Germany lost a game in the round robin, right? To I think they lost to, lost to maybe Austria. So that was the first time Germany had lost in I don't know how many years it was. But um, so they looked vulnerable immediately once Patrick was out. But um, yeah, Swiss couldn't get it done, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it's that that uh, mental mental thing, isn't it? You know, like how much of the game's played above the shoulders, and it's not enough to just to know that you've got the better team right now, but to actually go out there and beat Germany is, is another thing. And yeah, I think that was the, at the end of the day, they just had that, that mental toughness and confidence that, yeah, we'll still probably win anyway. And um, yeah, they did. It was, yeah, it was pretty good, but yeah. Awesome game. Fist. Fist.
All right, we'll move on. Any shout-outs for this week? Any shout-outs you want to send out? Everyone loves a shout-out. Yeah, well, I feel like one we probably probably missed last week, and so I thought I'd better get get him in this week. And one of our our biggest demographic listening areas is um, Kalgoorlie in Western Australia, <laughs> and uh, Benny Giles, uh, who is the the president founder of the uh, the Boulder Fistball Association, and pretty much the biggest thing in West Australian fistball. I'm, I know he's I know he'll be listening at work. And shout out to shout out to Benny. He's the the most the most travelled fistballer in the world, probably. Well. <laughs> Most dedicated. He, um, I think it's about two thousand six hundred k's or something that he that he flies over when he when he comes from Kalgoorlie to um, to Geelong to, to play fistball. So that's a it's dedication. And um, yeah, so I'll give a shout out to Benny. He was great. We should get some bush chooks at the uh, at the next uh, fist of us mate. Then he's on it. Any uh, any shout outs for Europe? Oh, probably just a generic shout out to the girls. I'll have to, you know, like the interest to see what happens with the women's world championship. So that's been bumped to next year. Going to be in uh, Austria now. Is that correct? Is that we the... think maybe Yona in Switzerland, but have nothing announced officially yet. So I'd be interested to see what happens with the Australian women's team next year. So a shout out to the girls. We'd love to. Love to obviously get a squad together, but uh, you know, again, our demographic bites us again with the uh, <laughs> various pregnancies <laughs> and uh, the ever expanding twenty forty uh, squad for Australian fistball is looking better, but the uh, um, the twenty twenty squad <laughs> not so good. But but yeah, hopefully, I don't know. It'll be interesting once they lock that in and firm it up, and the you know, travel plans become a little bit more reliable. Then you know, it'd be be great to see the girls head overseas next year. For my shout-outs, I'll send one out to Elmar Bonetti, um, the Swiss legend out there in Elg, Elg, uh, who was a what? What's what he? Not a chaperone. What was his name for our world champs? Fix, fixer. The fixer. <laughs> he was a legend. By um, stood by our side the entire tournament, not just helping us, you know, find our way around and helping us get things that we needed. He was always. The guy in the uh, the stands with the big Australian flag cheering louder than any Australian possibly could. He was, uh... and then he had us over to his um, parents' place on the final night for um, a lovely evening of uh, raclette, which was um, delicious. Um, yeah, which, so I thought I'd give him a shout out, and I also give a very quick shout out to Blaze and Vicky because I've already warned them that we're going to get them on the podcast at some point. So. If they don't mention the shout out, it means they have not listened to the podcast, and I'm going to be very upset. Nice one. <laughs> All right, I guess we'll sign off. Another another successful adventure. What are we? Yep. No, almost an hour and a half. It's good. <laughs> well, hour and a half now. We'll see. Take that, yawning Chris. There's <laughs> <laughs> be about 20, 20 or thirty minutes of usable content out of it. Yeah. <laughs> they did mention in their podcast that uh, our our single show was longer than their entire first four or whatever it was. So, uh, I'm going to edit the hell out of this thing and people are going to be saying, an hour and 30, what are you talking about? It's only 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you invite the Godfister. There's so much unusable content. <laughs> and just in case we do get this off you, Rolf, stay tuned for the end of this episode. We're going to play you the uh, Norwegian number one to- chart-topping song from 19... I don't know when you released it. Just in case, we're going to play that at the end of this episode. Stay tuned. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, should we call it? All right. Fist on. Fist on. Nice one, guys. All right. Fist.
promised, we will now play an edited version of the song mentioned earlier in the podcast by Rolf. Titled Playing This Game, this rousing ballad was co-written by cousins Rolf Müller and Rolf Peterson, penned by the two upcoming songwriters in Tonsberg, Norway, Rolf's ancestral home and the future home of Norwegian fistball. It was originally released back in 2004 on an EP compact disc simply titled Müller. Unfortunately, our portable CD drives steadfastly refuse to read this CD as containing music worthy of acknowledgement, let alone ripping, but fear not, as Rolf was able to obtain a re-released version from 2015 of the album dubiously titled Decades of Number One Hits Volume 1, performed by the Moolah Band. As to its actual performance in the Norwegian pop charts, it's a detail that will likely remain shrouded in mystery until the end of time itself. Enjoy and fist on. Still sounds the same 